Can I say I won't give it up? Won't give up that easy. Bernie Lazat, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Brian Chartrand. <laughs> now, I met you a number of years ago when you were working at um, Acoustic Vibe. So I definitely want to talk about your um, luthier background. And I know that, that you are also a performer. Yes. And I'd like to rap about that. But before we get into that, I like uh, to talk about kind of early musical memories. Uh, maybe there was a record that was inspiring that, that led you to your instrument or or maybe just some music that was playing in your home growing up that, that kind of made you think twice about what music is and how, how can I be a part of it? Yeah. Does that make sense? Did you grow up here? Uh, no, in Michigan. Michigan. Whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, just outside of Detroit uh, in a town called uh, Shelby Township. Okay. Utica. And uh, where I grew up was uh, Van Dyke runs right into the heart of Detroit, and I grew up at 23 Mile Road, so it was 23 miles out of the downtown area. Uh-huh. Did you and, spend a lot of time in Detroit? When did you move here, then? Uh, I moved here, and uh, I came out the first time in 1988, and then I moved here full-time in 1990. Okay. Um, I was dating a girl in high school, and her mom had moved out here. Um, the L.A. scene was huge. A buddy of mine was moving out to Pasadena with his mom after graduation and uh, was dating a girl and she was coming out to Phoenix. And I was hmm. like, wow, well, I'll check out what Phoenix is like. That's that's close to L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Did you spend any time in Detroit, like going to shows or? We used to, yeah, go down every weekend. Yeah. Yep. Um, when I was a kid, that uh, the Detroit Rock City narrative was uh, heavy in the air. Oh, yeah. And uh, me and my buddies, we kind of lived it like that. Uh, there was um, Detroit Rock City with uh, Kiss and yeah. uh, all that stuff that was happening in the 70s. Uh, Alice Cooper, I thought Alice Cooper was from Detroit. <laughs> um, I didn't realize until I moved out here that he was actually a Phoenix native. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'd go down to Detroit um, and uh, go see uh, shows at Cobo Arena, which is where uh, the, the Detroit Rock City, uh, the Kiss, I think Double Platinum Live was recorded. Okay. So, uh, wow. or Kiss Alive too is what there it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember any of the bands that you were going to see? Uh, well, back in the in that time, it was all the bands that were popular: um, Rat, uh, Judas Priest, uh, Metallica, um, Bon Jovi. I saw them uh, down there, and um, Alice Cooper, um, The Cult. Um, nice. Yeah, every band that was touring, and that was a culture shock coming from Detroit to Phoenix. Was mm. uh, at the time there wasn't any real rock scene established in Phoenix. Uh, this is '90, you said. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, so and I started to go the the first concert uh, I went to. That's a good story. I was, uh, it was, uh, must've been about 83 or four and I was about 14 or 15 years old. And my sister had some older friends, well, her friends, they were, uh, 16, 17 years old. And, uh, they called and asked if my sister wanted to go to this Rod Stewart concert. One of the girls had backed out and, uh, my sister said, no, uh, my sister wasn't into music that way. And, uh, they said, well, do you think your, your younger brother would want to go? And, uh, my, parents asked me like well would you want to go to a concert you know and and i didn't know like rod stewart much i mean his right. name right and uh but i was like you're gonna let me go with the 17 year old a and bunch a, of a 19 year old girl to see a concert <laughs> who would say no right, right. <laughs> and uh, as it turned out that was the uh, rod stewart um if you want my body and you think i'm sexy tour <laughs> that's awesome and uh i laugh about it because uh i the the smell of perfume and and uh you know marijuana and uh at the time you could bring your own cooler in and there was oh. just you know uh, in this it was the 80s there were the tube tops and uh you know the tight jordash pants and uh it was like wow yeah and and rod stewart the women were just going crazy and i was like i i think this is what i want to do yeah yeah <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah <laughs> any other um early musical memories were your folks into music were they spinning records at the house we did have uh one of the old um uh, furniture style mm -hmm. stereo the huge chest with everything in it uh, yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah didn't have the tv in it that I remember, but, uh, it had the, um, yeah, the big cabinet with the speakers in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they had albums in there. We had, um, one of the ones I remember we used to listen to a lot was the Beatles help. Uh huh. They had that one. Yeah. And, uh, it was weird. Uh, that imagery of that, uh, that song help, you know, mm -hmm. I need somebody help. Yeah. And, uh, that, that album, you know, and, yeah. and, and as you know, if you're old enough, you, you, at the time you'd turn over that album cover over and over and just look at it and, yeah. and think, well, what are they doing there? And right. what is the, you know, that, that imagery with the, the music? Yeah. 
Um, Were you really into, like in those early years, seeing who was playing, what they were playing? Like, was that of interest? Maybe where they recorded? Because, I mean, I was more impressed in, with the artwork than who was actually doing what. Like, I didn't know enough to be like, I want to know who's on drums on this, or I want to know who yeah. produced this and where it was. Like, I wasn't that into it. I right. just was like, wow, super cool piece of art. The music is great. Did you put it, were you more like into the minutia of the, of like the details of, of the performance? No, um, you know what, uh, what I remember about it. My dad was a, a rock guy, a rock and roll guy. Um, they had us pretty young. My dad was 20 and, um, so when I was, um, you know, five, six, seven years old, he was still 26, mm. 27 years wow. old. Yeah. And, uh, so he liked, uh, the radio stations at the time, uh, WABX. I don't think uh, wheels was out at the time, but th there was a healthy, you know, amount of music in, in Detroit. Sure. Um, I was aware of the things as a kid that Bob Seger and Ted Nugent were, you know, Detroit guys. Yeah. And, um, but uh, it was more the uh, movement, I guess, of the music. Uh, one of the early memories, uh, my dad would bring in his flashlight and uh, had the little button you could strobe it, you know, if you, you clicked it fast enough. And uh, me and my brother and sister would jump around the room and, and you know, watch our hands and, and, and you know, uh -huh. jump around. Yeah. Um, there was uh, uh, some of the other music that they had there. I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some Elvis. Um, and then uh, the one big impact I remember was when uh, Staying Alive came out. Mm. It was, must have been 76 or 7. was a mm. new album that came in. Mm. And uh, listening to some of the music off of that, and of course, what a cultural phenomenon at the time. Uh, most right. people wouldn't, unless they were there, remember how big disco or the the, the package of the Bee Gees with the movie "Staying yeah. Alive." Yeah. Um, so more of that, uh, I guess, when I heard music, it made me feel it more than mm. what I like a cerebral like thinking about it. Gotcha. Thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so. so, and were you playing an instrument before you moved out here? When did you pick up the guitar? Um, the guitar came to me. Um, my sister was um, musical. My mom was uh, musical. She had a clarinet. Um, I remember her playing that. Um, it was her like high school instrument. And um, my sister took up to, um, they got her for Christmas, uh, this little, I think it was called a, a genie. And it was a little accordion keyboard, kind mm. of, or not an accordion, but a, maybe a little 50 key or some mm -hmm. 30 key um, with those auto chord things. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she did well on it. And then they got uh, this, um, at the time, like one of those electric organs with the, the flip switches with the perloid yep. colors on it. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, there was a guitar that got bought, and uh, it was like a silver tone, and it had action on it that was like three quarters of an inch high. <laughs> and uh, I tried playing it, but I just couldn't get it. Yeah. And I mean, physically, it, it would, that would have been extremely demanding, even for an advanced player. Yeah. You know, with adult hands. Yeah. And now you're a kid trying to negotiate that. Yeah, and, and it was a big dreadnought body. You, know, uh -huh. you can barely wrap your body around it. Right. It was so huge. Yeah. Um, but uh, with the guitar, one of the first things I, I remember, uh, my buddy down the street, uh, Tony Duchesne, he had an older brother, and he was uh, a guitar player. And uh, at the time, like I said, Kiss was huge. And they had set up in their basement. Uh, they went up to the, um, the local convenience store there and, and pilfered some of the milk crate cartons, mm -hmm. or the, the plastic ones. Yep. And uh, they got some plywood, and they built a little riser oh, in the yeah. basement. Oh, and yeah. they hollowed out the bottom of a coffee can, put some lights in it, got some gels over them. And they had this like little rock scene in the, in the, yeah. in the basement. That's you know? awesome. And uh, Total fire hazard, but yeah. totally cool. <laughs> we were their only fans. We got to come down there and you know watch them rehearse. And, and they couldn't have been more than 15. We were probably about, I don't know, 10 or so. Yeah. And uh, they did the makeup. And, uh, it was funny, you know, it's just, uh, one of those moments where you're like, wow, you know, as a kid and he had this, uh, a mirrored pick guard, he had put on this Ibanez Les Paul uh -huh, and, uh, -huh. uh, was flashing right, and I thought, right. wow, you know, it was really something to see that kind of, uh, energy dedication to the, to the craft and the aesthetic moved around. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that was one of my earliest memories as, as a, like independent guy, like a kid without my parents being right. there hearing music. <clears throat> And thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. And I, that shape of the Les Paul, uh -huh. I was inst instantly mesmerized by the, that shape. And uh, didn't Ace Freely, wasn't it like a glitter or like a silver... He had like the mirror uh, ball kind of situation. The famous one was the um, uh, the sunburst uh, with the pickup oh, in the yeah. middle that sure. uh, the smoke bomb went in and the smoke came shooting That's out right. of it. Yeah, 
So, all right, when you, all right, when you put the Kiss makeup on, which member were you? Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't ever do the Kiss makeup. I think we might have went one year as the Kiss, like we we got makeup put on there, and uh, uh-huh. my buddy went as Gene Simmons, and he took yeah. a pair of Moon boots. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're old enough to yeah, remember the Moon sure. boots, and then he he duct taped another pair of shoes underneath them to give him some lift. <laughs> it didn't work for running around. <laughs> But, you know, that was, we were definitely, um, at the time in Detroit, uh, the Shout It Out Loud was, uh, uh-huh. you know, in Detroit Rock City. Yeah. Um, it was funny that uh, those things, uh, how indelible those memories are when you're a kid, you know, yeah. and, and it seems so much larger than life. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't even equate those to being people at that point. Or, and or like music, it, it almost like it, it was more than just music because it had this really powerful visual to it it was a show it wasn't like a i don't know it didn't feel like a rock band to me it felt like it's a phenomenon it was a cultural phenomenon totally uh, with today uh, there's so much of the mystique of uh, rock and roll and the mystique of musicianship and uh, i guess the machine that uh, turned out um, music and hits and uh, the the industry was uh, was beyond my understanding yeah i just thought that people became rock gods and they just showed up and everything happened you know, right. i didn't know there was business minutiae going on behind it right um, we're i mean i and not to dwell on kiss this whole time but it is it is interesting when you look back in context and and you know you think there there must have been other bands that were obviously ha- have a certain um, wardrobe aesthetic but were there other bands i'm trying to think that would paint their face you know, like every show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it, it was a whole, a whole. Well, and that was as a, as a child, it's the, it was kind of sticky, mm-hmm. you know, the, the shtick of it. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of musicians didn't appreciate kiss because right. it uh, appealed to maybe younger kids or younger crowds, but there's good songs there. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, what, uh, my first real, um, awareness outside of the, um, actual idea of like my, my parents and the music I grew up in, my parents were huge into Motown and, um, was, uh, two, two episodes actually. One was hearing, uh, stairway to heaven, you know, and the, the dynamic buildup and and then the crescendo. Yeah. And then, uh, probably the first real discovery of music uh, was me and my brother and he had, uh, we'd gotten Walkmans that year for Christmas. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah. And we're, you know, we had bunk beds and I had a pair on up above and he had a pair and he was telling me that my, my buddy at school, there's this, there's this song out, uh, jukebox hero. Mm. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, he's like, uh, so we sat up and I was listening to one station. He was listening to the other and he, he, he found it. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And that was another one of those visceral moments <laughs> right. where like you hear jukebox hero, you yeah. know, and just that guitar comes in. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I gravitated towards guitar when I, when I heard guitar. It was what I wanted to hear. And, and when did you, so when did you kind of pick it up in earnest? Um, a buddy of mine, uh, the next door neighbor, uh, they had. Uh, a garage band or a basement band um uh rick rusen i can't remember his older brother dave rusen i think was his name and uh they had um some guitars down in the basement there and my buddy john his dad and the mom had married and he got a guitar from his uncle a guitar and an amp mm. And uh, I told him, man, I want a guitar for Christmas, you know, and he's like, oh, I'll sell you mine, you know. So there was no surprise. My parents like, well, if, it, if that's what you want, you know, at that point, I think I was 12. It was, uh, I think, Christmas of 81 or 82. And uh, so I got this red Tiesco and an amplifier. Wow. And um, so I was super happy with that. Um, that was my first guitar. And uh, as fate would have it, it was kind of broken. Uh-huh. Uh, some uh-huh. wiring was loose and uh, my nature of growing up kind of as mechanical. Uh, my dad was a machinist and mm-hmm. um, machine repairman. I was determined. I went down there and I, I, I didn't know enough. I didn't sketch out the electronics, but I knew that there was one way for the electric to, to get in and, and mm. the signal to come out. And, mm. and I went down. My dad had a soldering iron. I just soldered and unsoldered and unsoldered and, and soldered until I got it to work. Huh. And, um, I was constantly messing with trying to set it up and lower the action. And, uh, huh. it had this bridge on it that was unintonatable and it was always out of tune. If I, you played the open chords and you tuned it, then you went up the neck to play a bar chord. It was out of tune. Right. And, and uh, I, I, you know, as a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old, I didn't understand it enough. Right. Right. But it sure. didn't, didn't stop me from wrenching on it. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was like your, your first kind of entry into 
all right, here's the here's the instrument. Now I got to figure out how to make it play better and keep it in tune. And yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, as you know, today there's so much available information on how to play mm. guitar. At the time, there was none. Right. Well, my sister was taking uh, lessons at a little music store called uh, The Music Box. Uh, just closed, actually, after like 60 years. But uh, they had a program there for learning. Mm. And uh, so the funny thing for me, I was, uh, you know, we got some lessons. I was the other thing with the Christmas. I were mm. going to give you some lessons. So I went in and they got the book, you know, the Mel Bay book with that twinkle, twinkle little star. Mm-hmm. I just didn't bond with it. And uh, I found out years later that the teacher there, when, when I came in, he would... Uh, He'd go, I'm going to get some coffee, half hour lesson. He'd go out for 10 minutes, get some coffee. And I'd, I'd cram to learn the lesson because I hadn't practiced. <laughs> he'd come back in, you know, for 10 minutes and he'd rage on the guitar. And then he'd uh, go, okay, well, what, what'd you learn? I'd stumble through Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and he goes, okay, good. Give me a check and then I'll see you next week. <laughs> you know, and, and I wanted to learn lead guitar. Sure. I'm like, well, that's not what I want to learn. So it was like right. three weeks of that. And uh, right. I, I learned how to tune the guitar <clears throat> And I went home and I just started, I, I learned how to tune to the tape, you know, uh-huh. and I, I just started figuring out, I figured out bar chords and power chords. And so no, no, no even book of, of, of chords, you know, like, no, like a not in the very beginning. Or, no, yeah. mm-hmm. I figured out a pentatonic scale, which wasn't that hard, but I was, um, it just, it's intuitive, the, mm-hmm. the pentatonic scale. Right. And, and I tried and it'll work over major or minor if you can put it in, put it together. Mm. And, uh, that's all I did. Mm. And, and, uh, then from there I just practiced scales and I, I knew somewhere, I, I guess I just knew that I really wanted to play lead guitar. Um, mm. and, uh, I think around that time it was, uh, probably the big influence outside of jukebox hero hearing that was, uh, Randy Rhodes and, mm. uh, um, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. It was really, uh, hit the airwaves and, um, that was, uh, I heard that. And I guess, you know, looking back on that now, and I, I've learned some licks recently from it, and that I guess that neoclassical metal or whatever mm-hmm. Randy mm-hmm. was doing, something about that uh, really um, spoke to me. Mm. Um, that style of lead guitar and um, the, the, the build up and the release uh, mm-hmm. was really something that, uh, when, when I heard that, I, I was like, that's, that's, that's what I like. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't do like the high school band or anything? No. And I look back on that and I think, how did I not do that? Huh. Um, but you know, what were you, what were your other kind of passions and hobbies in high school? Uh, well, I came up, uh, through, um, a lot of things. Uh, my dad was, um, like I said, a mechanic. He did lawnmower mechanics when he was a kid. He had um, go-karts and mini bikes. He worked at a shop. So we had go-karts, mini bikes, motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a paper route, um, that mm-hmm. I used um, a moped to deliver papers. Smart. Uh, yeah. You know, that's another life story. It's like, I used to get up in the morning before school in Michigan and oh, go no. deliver papers in the dark, Oh yeah. you know, at like 6am on, on my bicycle first and then my moped. And, uh, all year round. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did that for, from the time I was, uh, about 12 till I was about 16, I think 15. Wow. And, um, uh, but, uh, that's how I got to money to buy my first guitar. Right. My second my guitar that I really wanted, a, a Magnum Les Paul, a Gibson copy. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, a little funny story on that. I, I found it. I put layaway on it. I finally had, after a couple months, saved up the money and went to go buy it. And I, I asked my dad to drive me down there to go get it. And uh, he's like, ah, I'm not, I'm not going to let you waste your money on a, on a guitar. I'd already paid for it. Oh, Jesus. And uh, so I got my happy ass on my 10 speed and drove across town three or four miles and came back, you know, huffing it with one hand <laughs> on the handlebar of one hand in the case. And, and I hid it in the basement for, for about a month. Cause I was afraid he was going to find it. <laughs> he was going to be mad. And give you shit about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, man. But, but that's a funny thing, you know, and, and with that story though, is that the determination that I had, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways I've watched people. Well, I, I tried, you know, this and that. And, um, you know, I didn't have lessons. I didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of good resources. I had mm-hmm. the tape. I figured out how to tune it up to the tape and, uh, but I just kept trying, you know, and it's, uh, that's like a lot of things in life Mm -hmm. uh, when somebody, uh, when they want to do something, you can't tell them not to Mm -hmm. and and stop them from doing it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to uh, the guitar there in my hands, um, I, you know, it was almost a, a joy to get grounded or a joy to get like sent to your room, you know, right, the right. thing they should have really done would have been take the, take guitar, the guitar away. away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go sit in silence. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. 
Go so, to your room, okay? <laughs> sure, how long? Yeah. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> Bring me some dinner. <laughs> right, right. I'll have dinner at 6.30. And, uh, um, all right, so, so you get through, get through high school, and, and, and that's, when you, that's when you move out to Arizona and follow the, follow the girl? Uh, well, the, um, there was things in between their bands, musicians, mm-hmm. um, a lot of shows. I was really inspired by the rock and concerts and mm-hmm. Detroit, like I said, around um, concerts every weekend, twice a weekend. Uh, great, great bands coming to town and they would be like, I-, I can't believe we're in, you know, Kobo Arena, you know, uh. where, where, you know, Kiss recorded, uh, MC5 played, Ted Nugent, you know. Yeah. And so all those things were never really that far out of my realm. It seemed like that it was attainable because there were so mm-hmm. many people around me doing mm-hmm. it. Um, and then, um, when I came out, uh, here to Arizona, um, I saw the sunshine, I saw palm trees and the mountains Yeah. and I knew no matter what, um, was going on in Michigan with my family and, uh, you know, I wanted to, some of that, Uh huh. I, sure. I wanted some sunshine and mountains. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take many winters in Detroit, I'm sure to realize once you get out and spend a winter in the sunshine, yeah. like, what the hell was I doing? Why does anyone... Do well, that. nobody brags about the summer out here. That's you know, also true. And, and uh, that's the, the thing. I had a neighbor when uh, I first moved out here, and, and he had come from California, and it was hot. And he said, Bernie, if, it, if it's the heat that keeps the crazy people out of this town, then I'm all for it. You know, and <laughs> That's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, but sooner or later, you know, right. people are, like us are willing to suffer the summer to have the, the beautiful weather that we have the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, so uh, I got out here and not knowing much about um, music. Is this this is after high school? I'm assuming is this. Did yeah. you do the college thing? No. Yeah. Um, I graduated went, high school and then d- well, took off. I went right into the working world. I, I didn't bond well with school. Mm-hmm. Um, the regulations of being here, the, the bell chiming, being late, uh, having to have a parking permit. There was a lot of things that, uh, you know, kind of like an officer and a gentleman. Mm you think they're really just down on you and they're against you, you know, and you realize, no, it's just the system. Mm. And, uh, what happened to me was, um, with the paper route, I realized real quick that, um, money equaled freedom Mm. in my world. Because when, when I started getting money for my paper route, I bought a guitar, my own guitar, my own money. I bought an amplifier. I could go to the roller rink on Saturday and buy licorice or, you know, the, right. whatever the squishies and, and, you know, stay for double sessions, go buy French fries after nobody could check it. Right. Right. <laughs> so I learned that, Hey, this is what I want. And right. this is where I could see myself going. My dad worked hard and was a good role model in that sense. So I got a job at a lawnmower shop in 11th grade. I was able to get out of school early. Mm. As a, I don't think it was a vocational release, but I was able to get out after a sixth hour, um, and, uh, so, uh, and start making money. Yeah. And yeah. I, I bought a car, I bought a, my 73 Dodge Challenger, um, my parents bought, and then I paid them back for it. And then, uh, so it, it just was, it kept building on that. And yeah. I, again, uh, in uh, 12th grade, uh, got a, out after I think fifth hour or something like that. And, uh, then as soon as I graduated, I went right into the working, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of my buddies went to, uh, Michigan state or, um, U of M. I had guys go off to school and I went to work. I was that mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there I was at, uh, you know, 18 years old, I think, uh, at an apartment mm-hmm. 19. And then my buddies that couldn't cut it at school because they were partying too hard. They came back and living with their parents and going to the community college. And, and they were like, Hey, how are, how are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you, how are you renting your own apartment? I'm like, right. I'm working, I'm on a graveyard shift, you know, I'm working 70 hours a week. Damn. And, uh, but that was the money that, uh, got me out here to Arizona. Yeah. Um, I bought a van, uh, sold the challenger, which I still had, but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's been the theme in my life. I, I grew up with my dad uh, in machine shops and learned a lot working on cars, go-karts, mini bikes, everything, motorcycles. And, uh, those skills transferred. Um, I moved, uh, I went, Got a job after high school at a machine shop. Worked there for uh, about two years, a year and a half. Uh, saved up, I think, four or five grand. And then moved out here to Arizona. Nice. Uh, got an apartment, and uh, me and the girl. And yeah. uh, she got a job, and I got a job at another machine shop. And uh, worked there for about four years. And that, that kind of ran its course for me. Um, you know, working in a machine shop, doing long hours, and, yeah. um, you know, in... Uh, 
you can make a lot of money in there, but it's uh, d- dangerous. Uh, it's, you're around a lot of chemicals and, and that kind of thing. Um, a buddy of mine ended up uh, actually uh, got killed at the, the place I worked. Uh, one Damn. of the yeah, one of the racks that they stacked uh, the metals in um, had been poorly stacked, and it fell over on him oh. and squished him. Yikes. So that was a, a little bit of a motivator for call. me to get out of there. Yeah. yeah was uh, and But the, here was the thing. This was the, the underlying goal. When I was a kid and I'd get the Guitar Player magazine, in the back pages there was an ad for Roberto Venn School of Luthery, mm. a guitar building school. And uh, I guess probably in, in my mind at the time, I always had that in the back of my mind. When I was in Michigan, I'd see him like, wow, there's a school for gu- guitar mm. building. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved out here to Arizona, I went down there one time and checked it out. Um, but I was in this job and um, what had happened was because I had so much experience in Detroit, when I came out to the, some of these machine shops, um, you know, I knew how to read calipers and, and uh, uh, micrometers and had experience. I could step up, run a forklift, run a press. And uh, so I moved up real quick, quick in there. And uh, I, I got into the profit sharing program in uh, this blue collar slash white collar um, position where all of a sudden I started accruing a lot of money in a profit sharing. And I had these old guys patting me on the back, you know, you're going to retire from here, kid, you're going to be a millionaire. You know, I was 23 years old, <laughs> long hair. And I'm like, I, these guys got my life planned out for the next 50 years. Right. Like terrifying. Yeah. So, uh, I, I did the, uh, Robin hood, uh, or the, uh, I, I saved up the money and I went to the guitar building school. I quit and um, freaked everybody out in my family um, and uh, broke up with the girl. Her and I split up and I uh, went to the guitar building school. Uh-huh. And I, I saw that was kind of my salvation. It was like, okay, well, I'm good at this machine shop thing and I've, I've made money doing it, but I hate doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not what I want to do. I want to play music and I want to be around musicians. So in my mind, I thought, well, I'm good at fixing things. If I can, I love guitars. If I can learn how to fix guitars, I'll be in the community that it, I want to be in, which right. is around musicians and I'll be able to, um, get gigs. Um, I'll, I'll be able to, uh, work in something I love and that's how it ended up working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, so you spent some time, you, you, you quit the machine shop and you, and you enroll at, at Roberto Venn. Yeah. And it's a two year program. Now at the time it was a five month program, five month program, I believe four, four and a half months. <clears throat> and you do, you build an acoustic guitar and you build an electric guitar. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And what, what, what does the day to day look like? Like uh, how long until you're actually making the guitar? Uh, it starts right away. They get in there and put you on a machine and, um, you know, uh, the first thing we did was make these sanding blocks and, uh, you know, see what kind of skills people had, hand-eye coordination. And, uh, and how big was the class? Uh, uh, how many people? When I went through, I believe there was like 23 or four mm-hmm. and three, uh, teachers. So two teachers, one student instructor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and I did really well. Um, I, all the skills I'd had as a machinist and, um, you know, as a, when I was a kid, a, a woodworking class back when they had shop classes, mm-hmm. metal shop and wood shop. And, uh, so the guitar uh, building thing went really well for me. I did mm. really well. Actually the only A plus I've ever earned in my life Hey, all right. <laughs> that I can remember. <laughs> do you have that first guitar, those I first do. guitars that you built? Uh, not the electric, the electric fell off of a stand <sighs> and, uh, broke the neck and I was never really happy with the electric. So, um, it was the acoustic was really the, the one that was, uh, when I built was really, um, the instrument that was the premier one out of the two. And what was the style of that guitar? Uh, it's a dreadnought. Yeah. Um, a cedar top, a mahogany back and sides. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, the, the story that that one was a funny one is that, um, it was supposed to be a 12 string and, uh, because of my, um, my compulsive nature that I couldn't, um, it was a cedar guitar. It should have been a thicker top. And I was trying to sand out these little sanding marks that were in it. I kept putting it through the thickness sander and I made it too thin to be a 12 string. Mm. And, uh, John Reuter, uh, you yeah. know, John, uh, he, uh, was like, I, uh, we just gonna have to build a, a six string, you know? And I was like, Oh, because it's too much tension, it's too much tension for the, the on the top for a cedar top. It's too gotcha. soft. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what ended up happening was, uh, I begged and pleaded, no, give me another top. No, give me another top. And then uh, he's like, you'll never play the 12 string anyways. You, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> and he was right. And, uh, so I built the guitar and, uh, I ended up getting one of the nicest tops in the class. The cedar is very rare to get, um, like nice figuring in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I ended up, um, the happy mistake of uh, that guitar. Yeah. yeah. And then 
are you are you playing as well out here at that time? So this is what mid '90s now, uh, late '90s. This was uh, about 1994. I went through actually. Uh, the class uh, was '93. It's uh, 30 years this year. Wow. Yeah, I graduated in. Is that right? '94. The cl- uh, class of '94, December, January. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And were you playing music at that time as well, or just kind of focused no. on, the, on the Roberto Vance stuff? No, I had no idea how to get into uh, well, playing music, yes. Uh, I had been in bands and some garage bands and some um, backyard party bands, mm-hmm. um, but I uh, didn't have any idea how to get beyond that. Mm. And uh, that was the other thing that I thought with you know getting into the music and fixing guitars, I'll meet people and, and maybe I'll be able to glean some information or I'll get yeah. hooked up or somebody will show me or tell me. You know, I mean, no, you don't know at that time. You just got to call the band or the club and say, hey, can I play there? Right, right, right. Um, Along with getting a band together and and all that stuff that goes on with that. Yeah. But uh, so I wasn't actually uh, playing in a band at that time. And it would be uh, a couple more years before I met a gal that uh, she was actually dating a guy that he taught her how to book the band and, and, you know, put a band together. Um, Mm -hmm. My my friend uh, Cheyenne. And uh, who was a great influential uh, person in, in my career uh, as far as a musician, really got me off the couch and out of the, the garage mm-hmm. to go play. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a lackluster group of people, and she threw us together. We learned like five songs, and uh, she said, we got a gig. I'm like, what do you mean we got a gig? We're not ready to play a gig. She's like, well, it's it's neither here nor there. We're, we got a gig. Uh-huh. Where was it? Um, it was at that, uh, it was over on Forest uh, behind the chuck box, there was a, a, a bar there for a while called the, the foundry or something like that. It had an upstairs and they were putting bands up there and, uh, we went up there and it was pretty terrible, but, uh, everybody that knew us came out and, you know, applauded for us. And, uh, that was my first, uh, taste of victory right there. (laughs) Actually, that wasn't the very first, how I'd actually met her. A buddy of mine told me, you got to come to this open mic. And so I went down there with my guitar and, being unexperienced, he, he said, you can get up there and play the whole night with them, I'll bet. And so I got up and I played. It was later in the night, and I, I just got up there, and I played, like, two songs, and they introduced me and to, like, get me off the stage, and I just didn't leave. <laughs> That's a pro move. <laughs> yeah. There, there was another guitar there and an amp, I think, but I think they were expecting me to get off the stage, but I was just so happy and grinning ear to ear. I didn't want to leave the stage. Right. I didn't even think about it till, you know, right. it was towards the end of the night. And I, I think I played the last five songs with them or something. And some guy came up and he's like, way to hog up to the end of the night, dude. Oh, and I was like, oh, I forgot, you know? Yeah. But she was uh, the girl that she had that band. It fell apart uh, quickly after that. And, and we put together a band after that. So <laughs> that was my first time getting up on stage. I was, uh, I was. Uh, grinning from ear to ear and, and I loved it. Can you speak to any of the kind of Tempe nineties scene? Do you have any memories of going to see shows on mill or? Well, not in the early days. Uh, the first four years I was here before going to the guitar building school, I was, um, really, um, in the job mm-hmm. working five, six days a week and, uh, and dating the girl and she had family out here. It wasn't until I went to the guitar building school and uh, she and I had broken up that I started going out to um, see shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the major disappointment in Phoenix at the time was uh, because of the politics, a lot of bands would just skip over Phoenix. Yeah. But I've got a theory about that because uh, of the bands that did skip over, which was a surprise to me coming from how many great shows were coming through Detroit, uh, that um, major bands like Motley Crue and these bands wouldn't come to Phoenix. Hmm. And, uh, well, give me a, a year range. Like uh, well, I got here in late 1990. This would be about 94. Okay. Uh, 93. Um, Evan Meekum was the governor, I believe. And then, uh, what was his name there? Um, I forget. Uh, but, uh, so, but what that did was it was a fertile breeding ground for local music. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, and uh, when I got out here in 88, a buddy of mine lived out here and uh, he would tell me about these bands, the metal bands that were, you know, Icon, Surgical Steel. Um, There was another band. uh, I was too young to go, but one of the first bands I went to see was, uh, um, I think it was Caius was the name of the band that turned into, um, I can't remember the name of it, It, but it was Zeros, Mm. which is the old Boston's. Mm. And, uh, oh, that's the venue. That was the venue Yeah, over there on uh, Curry and, um, McClintock there. Okay. Um, there was, uh, it used to be, I'm pretty sure it was called zeros. And, uh, 
it became Boston's, which is where I used to go see Extra Ticket and a bunch of mm. bands that played there. Mm. Um, I was unaware of what was happening in the downtown Tempe, like as far as um, at that time with uh, uh, Long Wongs. Yeah. But I did, um, used to go down there and see at the uh, Hayden Square. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of great shows happening there. Yeah. And then uh, once, uh, when uh, my, me and the girl broke up, I started hanging out with some buddies and we'd go down. And, and this was a really, really cool thing at the time on Mill Avenue. They would shut down Mill Avenue and they would have bands playing on the corners down mm. there. Mm. And uh, so on every corner, 5th Street, 6th uh, Street, 3rd Street, mm. there was, you know, like three or four bands throughout the night and there was no cars. You could just, cool. I, I seem to remember it being an open container and you could walk around yeah. and uh, up and down and, and watch bands. It sounds a lot like phoenix first fridays when it when it had just started yeah you know just band pop-up bands here backpack full of beers going to art galleries walking around and they would kind of close it close it down yeah you know or at least maybe not officially close it down but there were just so many people you couldn't drive through the thing and then they got hip to it and then there were cops and then it was you know regulated and all that but in the early days so 2003 four five uh, that was the Wild West, man, and it was fun. Yeah. And it was, you know, like little just bands all over. Yeah, that's a super cool vibe. But the fact that they closed down Mill and uh, and so were, were, were these bands getting paid or did they just, who organized it? I would be imagine at that time it was probably through the city <clears throat> that they were most likely getting paid. Um, huh. And then. Well, uh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I did, uh, I've been doing some work with uh, Roger Klein, uh, fixing some guitars for him and. Uh, that was one, I guess, if you could say, like, did you ever see any of the, you know, the Tempe guys that, uh, you know, came up out of the, the scene, um, you know, to go on to some greatness? Um, we used to go over on, uh, they, they, I think they called it Thirsty Thursdays. Okay. Over at uh, Club Rio. Okay. And I don't know. You, I don't know. I don't Club Rio, know if yeah. I ever went to Club Rio. Um, Club Rio is where the Denny's, uh, you know, where the Denny's is on rural, on the other, the north side of the bridge. There's that whole area that went up there now, and there's the In and Out Burger. I I don't know I don't know Tempe as well as I should. So there used to be a club uh, a, a bar there called Club Rio, huh. and it was the like uh, the the huge um, ASU you know hang drink college drinking yeah. hang yeah yeah and Thirsty Thursdays was I, I if I remember correctly it was like three dollar Long Island iced teas oh god yeah and uh, like. It was like quarter beers or something like that, and you know, whatever it was, sex on the beach uh, right. drinks. <laughs> right, right, right. Know, early '90s. Right. And uh, so we'd go over there and and uh, get our uh, Long Island days teas on. And uh, I told Roger this story. Um, he's like, "You look familiar." I was like, "Well, we've we've passed each other, but you probably wouldn't remember." But I saw you play at Club Rio, and he rolled his eyes. He's like, "Oh my God, you saw that?" And I was like, "Yeah." And uh, they would play. I didn't know this. He's like, "Yeah, we would play like four-hour shows out there. You know, uh, um, they they'd start like a happy hour and play from seven to eleven or uh, yeah. something like that." Wow. And uh, so, yeah, the one thing I, I saw Roger do, I thought was really cool uh, back in the, at that time. It, it must have been about ninety-three or four. Was uh, he played a uh, America Brown Eyed or no, uh, um, Sister Golden Hair? Uh huh. I was like, America. wow, yeah. yeah, America. I was like, that's that's crazy. I've, I've never seen like I wouldn't, I never expected a like a modern band at the time. Yeah, they, they, they were just covering for time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sure. uh, that was one of the bands. Like, I, I can't tell you that I saw um, the Gin Blossoms, you know, um, I saw a lot of the other bands, Dead Hot Workshop, but uh, the, the Gin Blossoms, by the time I kind of caught onto the scene in, you know, 94, 95. They were kind of already moving on. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So you, you finish Roberto Venn and you're kind of, you're, you're playing some music now. What do you do to, to make a living? Well, I was, uh, I've been, um, kind of a, you know, scrounging and hustling, you know, I, when I got out of the guitar building school, I had offers to go back to the job that I had left. Hmm. And, uh, they kind of were, I went to this, um, work party that they did a buddy of mine like, Hey, you should come out now that you're out of the class, come over and bring your guitar and show it to people, you know? And I went out there and showed the guitar cause people thought I was nuts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, a 23 year old kid. I left like a $30,000 a year job and in one year. So four years of being there, I was on the, the, um, blue collar plan for profit sharing. I made like $150 and in one year of being on this, uh, profit sharing, under the, the new program, I made like seven grand mm. in one year. That's the money I bankrolled into going yeah. to the school. 
and uh, my mom helped me actually with the tuition, but I paid for the materials and my living expenses. Yeah. Um, so I, I always had in my mind this, I was going to bankroll this, but I could see ahead when these old guys were patting me on the back and telling me you're going to retire here from, you know, as a millionaire, you know, you don't want to think about it being 23. I mean, it sounds a lot different at 53, but I could have, you know, stayed there and the compounding interest that it would have right. made in this uh, aluminum shop at Alcoa, huh. it would have been phenomenal like huh. for me to stay there, but I couldn't stay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, looking back, uh, out of that, uh, when I got, um, you know, into the playing music, I, I I'm kind of losing track there with the, um, well, how I got into, yeah. yeah. So, um, I knew that I wanted to play music and, uh, I knew I, I didn't want to go back to punching a clock. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. And, uh, so I went and opened up my own little shop. Um, I got a job delivering pizzas and I had that, uh, several thousand dollars I was milking off of it and living, but you can make like, you know, 15 to 25 bucks an hour delivering pizzas. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was, and, uh, you know, you can work a four hour shift, you know, four or five days a week right. and you can get by fine. Right. And I rented out a little shop. Um, I bought tools and, uh, I got a little space put together and I, I, um, put a little ad in the, um, the yellow pages. Yeah. And, uh, within about a week I got a call from the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) What did they they want? (laughs) They were like, we see that you opened up a business and that you in the business section here, you've got uh, Bernie's guitar repair Uh, and uh, we don't have you on uh, listed as a business with a license. You know, I was uh, like, Oh geez. Yeah. I I didn't even think about that. So, um, uh, outside of learning the skills, it was a valuable lesson. Like I had all these ideas, like I learned, I bought tools, bought a place or rented a place and and didn't even think about the repercussions of how you're going to make money or getting a license or if you have any kind of insurance. Yeah. But, um, I just fixed guitars out of there and started building up a little bit of a clientele and people referring to me. I started working with some of the rock guys, uh, buddies that I knew. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I know, you know, Johnny Zapp. Yeah. 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 You've worked on a bunch of his guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I got, to, to know Johnny, I'm trying to remember who referred me to him. Um, we got a couple of mutual friends. It was Steve Womet, I think is who it was. I don't know if you know Steve Womet. I don't. Steve's a guy that lives here in town and he worked on all of the, um, guitar hero, um, games. Oh, and wow. Recorded all the guitars. So Whoa. yeah, he's a, a smart dude. He, uh, uh, and he's dedicated and, and driven. I'm um, surprised, uh, you know, the how he's been able to move through the world. But uh, again, it was creating an intention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was playing in a band with uh, Robert Mason, um, who went on to play with, who's playing with Warrant and uh, played with Cry Love. And uh, um, what was the other band he played with? Um, I'm forgetting right now. Oh, he played with Oni Logan. And I think he did a short stint with uh, Dokken. Oh, whoa. In uh, Lynch Mob, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he went out and was playing music with these guys. And uh, he realized, you know, like, okay, I did this, but this isn't what I want to do, but I love playing music. I want to record. So he went and bought the gear and started recording and and got real good at it. And uh, just along the way, you know, you start, you set that intention. He met somebody that met somebody that offered him this and offered him that. And next thing he knew, he was working on doing all the tracks on the Guitar Hero. That's insanity. And so that's how I met uh, Johnny Zapp. Yeah. And then, so is it around that time that you go to Acoustic Vibes? Well, um, what had happened with Acoustic Vibes, the the trail uh, took me from, uh, I'll try to keep it short, was uh, from going from uh, the uh, Roberto Van. I uh, had my own little shop that I had put together. I was there for a couple, or no, that's that's not true. Um, I got out in 93, I delivered pizzas, and a job opportunity came up in Gibson in 1995 Gibson music Gibson guitars oh, okay. in Nashville oh shit okay the Gibson Roger from that. through uh Roberto Van they were looking for somebody and my name came up and I went there and it was the worst machine shop job I'd ever had it was <laughs> everything that I left uh-huh right but worse <laughs> making like seven dollars an hour building guitars oh god and uh I didn't last there very long I came back started delivering pizzas again, ran to my little shop, ran my little shop for about two years, coincided with working at Phoenix Guitar Company. And uh, they were there. I was there for about a year. They closed down. I went over to Guitar and Keyboard City 
worked there for a couple of years as a tech. Uh, at the same time, I was working in another shop called Monkey Mambo for about a couple months. And then um, I'm trying to think, uh, there was something in between there. I moved in with a buddy of mine and I started fixing guitars out of the house, out of the laundry room. I oh. set up a little shop and um, just started meeting uh, people in, in Tempe, uh, Blake um, Thompson, who was uh, at the time with the, the Elliots. I don't know if you know, um, they I were a band know. of the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, just start picking up clientele. Yeah. And, you know, honing my chops, buying tools. And then um, I was uh, moved into my house that, uh, and I was working out of that house. Mm-hmm. And along the way, kind of scraping and scrounging, uh, hustling, I, I, I started working as uh, I was started playing music, started playing in bands, um, doing open mics, started um, meeting more people. Every yeah. All the intentions I put out. Right. Right. I, I met a uh, friend who said, uh, you know, I need a guitar fixed. I got to turn you on to this guy. He knows something. He's a lot like you. I end up in this Caribbean band. <laughs> I played for with a Caribbean band, the Caribbean Cruisers, for about 15 years. Damn. Yeah. And uh, and so the journey it's taken me on. And uh, when I worked at um, that Phoenix Guitar Company, they had two instruments. They were going out of business. And I hit them on the back wall, a banjo and a mandolin. Somebody came in and asked for a banjo. They bought the banjo. I ended up with the mandolin. And so I started playing mandolin and then somebody said, Hey, you should meet my buddy, Pete. He's a banjo player. And I was like, why? He's like, well, <laughs> will you play mandolin? You're going to play bluegrass, aren't you? And I was like, ah, I, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> so I started playing bluegrass and uh-huh. we started a band, uh, the high grass pickers. Okay. And, uh, the high grass sound, we were like a train coming down the mountain, <laughs> clickety clacking and more noise than bluegrass. Um, but that got me in, uh, over, uh, playing at, uh, the sail in. Yeah. And, uh, that was, uh, at the same time I was playing with this other band, uh, that was called room full of cats. It turned into this, uh, laughing stock. We were the, uh, Wednesday night band at sail in at the sail in. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were doing uh, um, the jam band, I think it was Wednesdays or Thursdays with a bunch of bands at the time, uh, Horticulture, Endoplasmic, and it was a real fertile scene there at the time with the jam bands. And uh, so I got to, all these things all kind of happened at once. I was in a Caribbean band, I was in a bluegrass band, I was in a jam band, and uh, we started playing around town, uh, Mustang Sally's, uh, the new Long Longs over there on uh, Apache, and... um, uh, where else were we playing? Uh, there was a bunch of other places. But I'm trying to think of venues around that time. Yeah, I wasn't playing like the Yucca at that time. That was uh, more that rockabilly scene at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was playing with this girl, Carrie, we became uh, like this folk rock jam band. Um, she's got like a Melissa Etheridge type of thing. And I was able, free to do what I want. If I wanted to bring a banjo, if I wanted to bring a guitar or my mandolin. Cool. Um, when did you get into the dead? Well, uh, at um, uh, Roberto Van. Oh, really? That was what cemented it. Uh huh. So the the roundabout Bunch of hippies making guitars. Uh, well, the roundabout on it was my buddy Glenn that moved out to Pasadena. That I followed. You know, I told you he moved yeah. out at high school, and me and my girl came out here. And uh, so when he got out to Pasadena, and I was here in Phoenix, he's like, "Dude, you got to come out here and check out this band." You know, I'm like, "Well, yeah. Well, who's that?" He's like, "The Grateful Dead," and I was like, "That." <laughs> that folk band from the sixties, you know, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah dude, you, you got to come see them. You know, you're going to like it, you know? And I was like, Oh no. So I had had some, you know, minimal experience. With yeah. The grateful dead is, you know, growing up here, Casey Jones and that kind of stuff. So I went out there and, uh, yeah, it would just blew my mind, you know, we went out there and the, everything that happens out there at the grateful dead show, the, yeah. the drugs, the environment, the scene, the, you know, the shakedown and yeah. the music and, uh, um, just blew me away. You yeah. Know? And, and on top of it, I look back now and what I figure out is at that time, Jerry was using, he was really shredding it up using heavy distorted guitars. And when I went to see him, I was just like, this is not what I was expecting at mm-hmm. all. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of really dug it. Yeah. Um, and then I went to the guitar building school and John Reuter had it going 24 hours a day, uh-huh. you know, to the point that I was like, John, please no more envelope filter. <laughs> God, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny, but, uh, it, it worked. And yeah. if you ask him, he'll, he, he credits himself with my salvation there. Oh yeah. He'll tell you. I was, yeah, I was, a, you. yeah, I was a stark metal head. I, David Lee Roth, uh, jumping around the room like a madman. Yeah. You know, yeah. 23 years old. That's funny. So that's, uh, again, with that journey that kind of wrapped up all this stuff kind of came together with, 
uh, having a mandolin, having a banjo, playing guitar, and then finding the, uh, the Grateful Dead and them playing like jazz type of music, them playing bluegrass, them mm-hmm. playing Americana music, yeah. them playing rock and roll, them playing blues. Yeah. Right. And uh, it really uh, just um, at the time for a guy that grew up with a, you know, I grew up with the rock and roll Motown, but gra- gravitated towards the heavy metal when it came out, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. Yeah. Was okay. The, was the one for me. I was okay. really Iron Maiden. You know, I said earlier, um, uh, Randy Rhodes, but uh, it was right at the same time that Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden album came out. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, again, the that um, the feeling of the way the music, you know, was uh, mm-hmm. pumping, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, uh, you know, a 13, 14, 15 year old kid, you know, oh, yeah. that, uh, that driving you're, rhythm. You're the target audience to yeah. that music, you yeah. know, the early teen angst like yeah i want to break something i want to hear heavier music you know yeah i bought it hook line and sinker (laughs) yeah yeah so that was the irony of me going when john called me a pantera head (laughs) because when i went to roberto van i was a pantera like a mosh guy right right yeah yeah and now you're jamming you know mandolin in a a dead you know yeah (laughs) Well, and it, it was a great lesson in life too, you know, is that, uh, music is really, it moves you, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, uh, you know, either, uh, cerebrally, I guess, uh, you know, with your eyes closed, it can move you or, you know, with your, um, eyes open and, and moshing around in a mosh pit, mm-hmm. um, real good music moves you. And, yeah. uh, when I got into the dead and, uh, started discovering all these other types of music and how they might not move you like in a visceral way, but, uh, they move you in a way that, um, you know, uh, is just as relevant, mm-hmm. you know, right. maybe through your heart space or through your head space. Right. Well, it's interesting too, actually last night, um, I noticed that a smashing pumpkins gish. So mm-hmm. their first record was reissued, remastered. And so we listened to it last night and I, I just remember thinking like this record was so important to me and listening to it now, I, I, I recognize it's good. But it hit me right at that sweet spot. You know, this for me, so early 90s um, teenager. You yeah. Know, or early, early teenager. And that's, you know, obviously the whole grunge thing blew the roof off of my mind. Uh, you know, yeah. Alice in Chains and, and, you know, Pearl Jam. Oh, dude, when I heard Man in the Box, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, it was another one of those experiences. Like, yeah. What am I hearing right now? Yeah. This is unbelievable. That Their, their record, Dirt, was the soundtrack to my either sophomore or junior year yeah. in high school, it was always in the, in the car, in the tape player. And that's what, you know, going to whatever lacrosse practice, that was what you'd go into jazz band practice in the morning. That's what we were listening to. I mean, yeah. it just like it, that was it, man. Yeah. And so listening back now, 20, 30 years later, whatever, it's uh it's just interesting how your tastes have changed my tastes have changed but it, but there's still some a little bit little part of you that is attached to that moment oh, yeah. and, and that music you know yeah um so you what are you doing now you, you you're working out of your house you're, you're yep. still working on guitars you work on my guitars and and we got introduced through adam armijo i believe yeah. i think he was like you got to take your shit to bernie immediately yeah um, you're working on guitars, you're playing music. I see you out playing at, uh, at Santan gardens and, yep. and, and doing a whole bunch of stuff. So, uh, what do you have to, and where can people find out what you're doing and um, where are you playing? Well, I'm, uh, playing with a band called the harvest. Um, we're doing a grateful dead tribute like many other bands. <laughs> and, uh, I kind of came to that, uh, through a friend that referred me over to a guy that, um, one of the guys was going out for a surgery and then, um, uh, it ended up that, uh, the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so when that happened, uh, the band kind of fell apart. Everybody had their own opinions about the way things were going. Uh, some of us kept playing throughout that. Um, some didn't. And so the band got uh, divided but um so we've been playing uh all over the state here and uh in town we play over at cactus jacks usually uh second or third thursday we've been playing some gigs at uh handlebar jays mm, cool um yeah oh, dead dead can music? you believe that no <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah like more of the americana grateful dead stuff or well what happened was uh our guy billy who does the booking uh our bass player billy dutton he um is friends with um uh ray, ray uh, girlfriend ah. and uh so that's interesting yeah so he uh, approached me he's like hey how about a grateful dead night over here at uh, handlebar jays and ray was like oh man 
Grateful Dead at Handlebar Jays? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, so we did it. And uh, again, it was during the pandemic and uh, we had a bunch of people come out, you know, and yeah. the stigma is a lot like, uh, you know, metalheads or deadheads. It's like, we're yeah. 50 year old people. Right. You know, nobody really that's a metalhead uh, in the old school vein is, is under 50 or 45. And most deadheads are between 45 and 80. Right. So, uh, and they're kind people. They come out and, um, you know, they, they act kindly and, right. uh, you know, right. dance. It's and, a docile crowd. It's a docile crowd. <laughs> You know, and now is. they have money. <laughs> yeah, and now they have money, and uh, and so, the ribs are real good at Hannibal J. I mean, what, you know, yeah. So what we, else do you want? We played there, and it went really well, and uh, it was well received. And uh, I don't know if we were the first one that started altering some of the shows like that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, they. I know that they did a rock band here recently, also. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, I know that Ray took over the um, the the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He bought his brothers out on it, and yeah. uh, so um, well, Ray is awesome. Handlebar Jays is great. What a, yeah. a great local institution for live music. And, you know, I, I implicitly trust Ray's judgment in music. I mean, he's yeah. a phenomenal player, awesome human being. Yeah, local treasure and, and yeah. Yeah, Handlebar Jays, uh, yeah. a stor- historic landmark, I'd yeah. you know, argue at uh, this point here. Yeah, for, for sure. For the music that's gone down there. Do you have a favorite era of the dead? Um, I didn't until I really started having to learn it. Um, there's great things about every era. Um, now are you playing, are you playing lead in this or are you doing like the Bobby Weir um, approach? Initially I had come in to play lead guitar and then, uh, when the band kind of fell apart, um, during the COVID and we lost some of the players Our one of the drummers we had stepped up and he became the rhythm guitar player. Okay. Um, when, um, things settled back in, uh, he had another band he was playing with. We picked up another guitar player that's also a good lead player. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing with the Grateful Dead thing is everybody's kind of already done it to the authentic mm-hmm. thing. And right. what's starting to roll over now is that a lot of people are interpreting dead music cool. and reinterpreting it. And we're, we're trying to do a little bit more high energy thing. And uh-huh. huh. you know, that's, I got flourishes of the heavy metal guy that come out in me. I can't hide it, you know, <laughs> and uh, I try to learn Jerry Licks. I don't sound just like Jerry. And yeah. um, maybe if I spend a lot of time trying to sound like him, I could um, get close. But um, I, I play best when I kind of play uninhib- uninhibitedly the way that I play. Yeah. And um, so my favorite era that I'm finding uh, is uh, some of the stuff in the uh, late 60s and through the early 70s. Uh-huh. Okay. Was where they were playing with just young energy, yeah. young guy energy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but again, like when I really got into it, it was in the late 80s and the early 90s when uh, Jerry was using these really flashy heavy metal sounds. And uh, they were doing some uh, really um, more of the uh, jammy, uh, heavy stuff. Mm, mm. Um, so, and the one thing about the Grateful Dead that uh, it, it's the, the music, and when you listen to it, for me personally, is the um, it, it is a mental thing that uh, the effect of good lyrics and good melodies yeah. and uh, good songs. Yeah. Um, so my favorite era was, uh, probably at, at this point right now is where they're playing with more young guy, uh, rock and roll kind of energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I guess it might be the, the more, uh, cocaine fueled era at some point. <laughs> then right. there's some, some pretty, tempos were a little faster. Than yeah. Usual. There's some pretty sad performances of Jerry when he's, uh, you know, white China out, yeah. um, where he's kind of a shell of the guy, but he still pulls it out. You're like, yeah. man, that guy plays better on his worst day than I do on my best. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Bernie, thank you for your time. I feel like we could be rapping about the dead for days. So I, I appreciate that we were able to keep it, <laughs> keep yeah. it short and sweet, but yeah, and I'd say just real quick. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, I do work out of my house. I've been fixing guitars. Um, I've met a lot of the guys around about, uh, the guys at jam in town. And, um, when things, uh, when COVID happened and things fell apart for me over there at uh, acoustic vibes uh, with that whole thing, um, I'm just back to doing what I do. I do a carpentry, um, um, part-time. I, I do gigs kind of part-time. Mm-hmm. I do uh, guitar repairs, uh, most of time is my main thing mm-hmm. and then I do guitar teching uh, work as well so um, it's just back to kind of being the guy that has to hustle for it and if you're a musician you know you, yeah. you hustle to be the manager you hustle to be the um, the sound guy you hustle to be your you know the performer yeah and uh, that's you where gotta, I'm at you gotta throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall to put something together yeah you know? so and, and there is no like like you're the guy it doesn't go any past you like if it doesn't happen it, it it's on you and I like that pressure I like it 
it it's self-reliance like i'm gonna make this shit work yeah you know what i mean and, and i'm gonna build my schedule the way i want to build it and i'm gonna take the gigs that i want to take and and do the things that i want to do i love that freedom of being yeah. a, a small business owner you well, know? that's the thing that, uh, you know, like when I walked away from the job where I could have retired, you know, you know, uh, really, um, a lot of money is that, you know, I don't make a lot of money like that, but when I make money, I make my money. Right. I made it, you right. know, it's, I can stand on that and be like, yeah. okay, you know, I'm, I'm not making six figures, but you know, I did this and I did that and, and I resourcefully with my own skills made the money. It's, it's something yeah. to be a little bit more proud of for sure. Um, and, um, it's good to have some stress in your life. Um, you know, I've been at this point, uh, trying to get back up on riding like that, uh, hustler mentality of mm-hmm. hustling gigs and hustling. Uh, it's work. tough, man, though. It, it can really be exhausting. And, yeah. and one thing that I found, at least that I'm trying to employ recently, is like building in time off because we can be working yeah. from morning to the nighttime every day of the week if we wanted to. That's you a know? self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. That's that mentality, right? You're working on a Sunday. You're working on a Saturday. Oh, yeah. You're always answering emails and phone calls and you got to reply to this text and I got to update the website and I got to do this promo and, you know, like I got to advance this show. I got, you know, so it, 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 it can be overwhelming and, and, um, exhausting and building in the time to just not do it, you yeah. know, is important for mental health and, and stepping away for a moment and coming back at it with fresh eyes and, and maybe a renewed sense of purpose, you know, that's important. And anyway, you know, this isn't anything new, but it's important to take time away from that because we can, we can kill ourselves, you know, yeah. we're with, with, with work. So, but I, if anyone needs any guitar work done, Bernie is your guy. Uh, he does fantastic work. I highly recommend him uh, to anyone, acoustic or electric or any stringed Yeah, I do instrument. mandolins. Uh, I've done some stand-up basses. They're hard to work on because of the, the space they take up. But um, <laughs> I've done and drums. I, I like drums, although I'm not really a drum technician. Um, I, I do some electronic repair, um, just a minor, you know, fixing uh, broken knobs and um, input jacks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, soldering stuff is pretty easy. Uh, a lot of the electronics nowadays, you're just pulling out the board and putting in a new one. It's, right. It's, right. But because um, it's not worth the parts or what. Right. Yeah. Or because you can't unsolder, you know, a chip from a board Roger and resolder that. it in. Yeah. Well, I'll put I'll put some contact information on the podcast notes. So people okay. are interested. I know you're a busy man, but yeah. but, um, you know, maybe some new customers would be hip. Yeah, I'm I, sure. I, I kind of want to send you home with my guitar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I appreciate your time. I won't, I won't tell your other guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she gets jealous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate you having me out, and uh, it's been great meeting you. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the community around Phoenix uh, has been yeah. pretty great. And, uh, you know, um, for anybody listening, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, like for my path is that, uh, you know, I set an intention. And uh, it's funny how you look back and you're like, well, I, I had this intention. I wanted to leave this job and I wanted to get into this. And, and at some point, I all of a sudden, like all the things I hoped, you know, I'd be playing music and working with musicians I respect and, and fixing instruments and, and building uh, relationships and, uh, um, you know, uh, roads into places where I could be a musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of came from setting that attention where I thought, yeah. you know, I, I, I like fixing things. I like guitars. I can make that work. And, um, I, furthermore, when I get into that world, I can, you know, promote myself or have people help me mm-hmm. promote myself and, and learn how I can get there. So, yep. um, and, uh, I've just, uh, stuck on that path and, uh, music and guitars have, um, been the only constant in my life. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's, yep. uh, where it uh, took me and how we met and how yep. we all know most of the same people that we know. Yep. So, and, uh, it's nice to, um, have caliber of musicians that I respect and work with them and work on their instruments and, uh, um, you know, also, uh, work in those venues and be part of what I think Phoenix has got a great music scene. It's got an incredible music yeah. scene. And, uh, to compare that to like when I left Detroit, uh, there's not a lot of venues like in Detroit where you can play, mm-hmm. um, as great as, uh, Detroit was for the fertile ground. Um, it's, uh, Tempe and, uh, even now Mesa and Gilbert, there's, there's live music venues happening all over town. Yeah. You can still, you know, maybe not get paid, um, you know, a lot of money at some of these, uh, sports bars, but you know, if you can go in and make 150 bucks, it's better than paying $500 like in LA to, to play a gig. Right. Paying them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, we're, we're very fortunate. Not only, 
you know, if you want to be a working musician, there's plenty of places to do that. But also just the caliber of musician here is, is really stunning. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're just all got each other's backs, you know, and there's enough work to go around. So, so no one is without it, you yeah. know, and I think that Phoenix is a special place and, and I'm very thankful and grateful to be here and, and to know folks like you. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very independent town. There's yeah. a lot of uh, independent uh, thought and a lot of independent people, um, you know, working to be original. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I got to say when I moved out here that uh, was one of the things I felt, you know, like the Wild West. Well, mm-hmm. it's, you come out here and, and you can earn your keep, but, you know, yeah. you might have to prove yourself to do it. And, and But that's life. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, brother, thank right. you for your time. Thank you, best Brian. Of, appreciate it. Best of luck. Continued success. And um, as I said, I'm, I'm def. I need you to work on my guitar if you have all the right. time yeah i know where you live all right well <laughs> that's what i do you know I, I, that, that's uh you know working out of the house there i can be the guy and and uh, i work on guitar sometimes to a fault and uh, i try to expect perfection and uh, sometimes that hangs me up on things well you know but not having somebody working over you is mm. allows you to to work to the your heart's content till you're happy and that's right i try to work until i'm happy with a guitar or with an instrument and uh yeah that's something that i've seen uh you know get passed over by somebody that has to work in a um, environment where they're working on um, you know like a lot of stuff you know right. like a store environment right you volume, have to crank volume. out yeah. yeah yeah you gotta crank out. it doesn't keep me from not being lazy <laughs> can we talk about crypto <laughs> i'm into crypto <laughs> that's my problem right now maybe maybe that, part two yeah the whole just a heads up everybody the whole monetary system is coming to it and, and it's going to change everything's going on the blockchain mark my words okay i'm not joking <laughs> thanks bernie you're welcome Thanks, Brian. So the story goes.